Let us pray. Gracious God, be with us today on this first Sunday in Advent as we await the arrival of our Lord and seek to establish ourselves more firmly in the kingdom that he came to bring. And as we study Paul's letter to the Romans today, we pray that our conversation would shed light on what it means to await our Lord so that when he does appear, we may behold him in all his glory without shame or fear. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. All right. Romans chapter 13. Just a reminder that um, beginning last week, we kind of started a section of Romans that's a little bit more vacation. So Romans 1 through 11, Paul has written about how we're all under the power of sin and death, how even Israel was bound to Adam and that all the law did was bind Israel and all of humanity to Adam, how through baptism, we've been transferred from solidarity with Adam to solidarity with Christ, how this gospel is for everyone to the Jew first, but also equally to the Greek. Well, what does that actually mean? And so Paul has really been fleshing all of that out. And starting last week with Romans 12, he turned his attention to, well, how then shall we live? If we've all been grafted into one body, Jew and Gentile alike, through the mercy and grace of God, if it's not based on law or works, but on faith, baptism, and solidarity with Jesus, what does this mean for our life now? And last week, Romans 12, Paul offered some theoretical, abstract, very beautiful, just kind of virtues about rejoice in hope, be patient in suffering, persevere in prayer, um, things that we can talk about how to apply. But now in Romans 13, Paul is addressing something very specific, and that is how we are to relate to the governing authorities. So Romans 13, verse 1 let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those authorities that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you wish to have no fear of the authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive its approval, for it is God's servant for your good. But if you do what is wrong, you should be afraid, for the authority does not bear the sword in vain. It is a servant of God to execute wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also because of conscience. For the same reason, you also must pay taxes for the authorities are God's servants, busy with this very thing. Pay to all what is due to them, taxes to whom taxes are due, revenue to whom revenue is due, respect to whom respect is due, honor to whom honor is due. And I'll go ahead and pause there. Um, now, a few words about this. Uh, Paul begins let every person be subject. Um, that Greek word translated subject, it's not about blind obedience. It's not about social conformity. It's really about the social order. It's a word that means in Greek to arrange under. And so here, Paul is talking about how the church should be arranged under the structure of societies. We're not talking about conformity or blind obedience, but about 
being properly fitted into a social order uh, with the reminder that there is no authority except from God. Um, We can think about John's account of the crucifixion where Jesus is arranged under Pontius Pilate, right? And Pilate says to Jesus, don't you know that I have the power to crucify you? And Jesus answers him, uh, you would have no power over me unless it had been given you from above. And so this is actually one of the readings we often have for Christ the King Sunday, which is a, a beautiful reading for Christ the King Sunday, because here Jesus is subject to the king, about to be crucified by the king, saying that any worldly kingly power he has has temporarily been assigned by God. But of course, Jesus in that moment is the true king. And so we're invited to see ourselves as citizens of God's kingdom, but to think critically about how we engage the quote unquote kings of this world. And a few notes about this, because I have a feeling this is going to raise some really interesting issues for our conversation. I think it's important to note that in Romans 13, Paul is not offering a comprehensive theoretical treatment of how Christians are to relate to the state. Rather, Paul is speaking to a specific community with specific concerns in a specific context. In truth, scripture offers us lots of examples of disobedience and obedience. And so an example of disobedience would be Acts chapter 4, where Peter and John stand before the council. Uh, The book of Revelation is a big act of disobedience against the kingdom of Rome. But we also have obedience. I mean, Jesus himself said, if someone compels you to go one mile, go two. Uh, This was an example drawn from when a Roman centurion asked you to carry his pack for a mile. Um, The law said you got to do that. Or Jesus said, render to Caesar that which belongs to Caesar. Um, In 1 Peter, we have that um, phrase that we are to honor the emperor, which is kind of a shocking thing for someone to write in Peter's name. And so we have examples in scripture of disobedience and obedience And so the question that will probably be raised in our conversation is, well, how do we know when to be subject, when to take our place in the social order, when to obey, and when to push back? I also think it's important that we name that this passage does not raise issues of the illegitimate uh, authority or the abuse of power. And I think that's something to name because we're all sensitive to that, right? Is Paul saying, just conform and let your abusers abuse you? And and Paul actually isn't addressing the issue of illegitimate authority or the abuse of power. And that's just not something this passage speaks to. I also think it's important to name, historically speaking, that Claudius's expulsion of the Jews and the tumult that preceded that event Uh, is also in the backdrop of this passage. Remember, um, the Jews were expelled from Rome, uh, probably for rioting or acting out or something along those lines. Uh, Paul spoke of an unenlightened zeal of the people of Israel earlier in this epistle. And so here, the emphasis is on fulfilling the social obligations 
uh, in a context of trust that God is the ultimate authority and that there is a day, a day of the Lord approaching. And why would Paul have to do this? Well, we recall last week that he told the church to not be conformed to this world, right? Don't be conformed to this world. There's a new king, a new order. Well, we can imagine what some of them might thought, especially some of the more zealous in the community. Well, that's great. Uh, You know, I don't want to be conformed to this world. Does that mean I don't have to pay my taxes? And Paul says, wait a second, not so fast. And so the questions, I think, that were in the backdrop of the real context that Paul was addressing is that if Christians belong to a new age with a new king, and that this old creation, right, is on its way out, if the sun is setting and and will one day cast out the darkness, why bother respecting society at all? I mean, won't Jesus return tomorrow or next week or next year? What is the point of playing by society's rules? And I think that is the question that Paul is addressing, having already set up that there's a new king, a new kingdom, and that they don't need to conform to the patterns of this world, that Caesar is not king, but Jesus is king. And so here Paul is basically saying, well, yes, but that doesn't give you an excuse to rebel or to not be subject to the existing structures of um, society. And I think it's also good to remember that the Christian church was a very, very small, scrappy, numerically insignificant portion of Roman society. Um, You know, the Romans, for the most part, tolerated ancient religions, but they did not like new religions, and they did not like religions that um, had any whiff of wanting to overthrow uh, society, any whiff of proclaiming a king other than Caesar. And so, you know, I think Paul is just basically saying, like, you guys got to fall in line to some extent here. Um, and that doesn't change the fact that Jesus is your true king. Be subject to the governing authorities. Pay your taxes, right? If there's honor due to someone, give them the honor. But just don't forget, there is no authority except from God. And so the discerning questions for our day, what is, um, you know, when does faithfulness demand that we take our place in the social order? And when does faithfulness mean disobeying the social order? You know, we think of things like Black Lives Matter, um, protests. We think of the civil rights movement. Um, You know, um, the, the slave trade didn't just fall apart, right? There was a rebellion against that law. And so when does faithfulness mean we are subject to that which is? And when does faithfulness mean disobeying the social order? That's a real question for the church today, I think. And, and, and the related question is, what are the societal rules that we must play by? Uh, what, what rules do we need to play by as Christians? And then which societal norms mustn't we ever adopt? And I'm going to go ahead and stop there. And because I think that's really what Romans 13 is about, the spirit of it.
owe no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know what time it is how it is now the moment for you to wake from sleep for salvation is nearer to us now than when we became believers. The night is far gone. The day is near. Let us then lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us live honorably as in the day, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And so after essentially telling the Christians to be subject to the governing authorities, to take their place in the social order, he says, oh, no one anything except to love. And so, you know, Paul is now clearing up the misconception that we owe the government blind conformity or that we owe you know, our allegiance to unjust practices. He says, no, the only thing you owe is to walk in love, that anyone who loves has fulfilled the law. And, you know, just when we thought Paul was done with all this talk about the law, he brings it back to remind us that circumcision is not the fulfillment of the law, that works according to the flesh is not the fulfillment of the law, that um, Israel, um, his kinsmen according to the flesh, that what they do is not the fulfillment of the law, but love itself. And what he writes about love uh, can really just be drawn from what Jesus himself said on the Sermon on the Mount about how loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength is the greatest of the commandments, and that loving one's neighbor as oneself uh, is the second, that on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Um, Jesus would have stolen that himself from Deuteronomy, as would have Paul. And so he's really building on this tradition that at the end of the day, love is what this is all about. And I think to understand what Paul means by love, we actually have to go back to all of Romans 12. What does love look like? Well, just reread Romans 12, where Paul talks about offering yourself as a living sacrifice, rejoicing in hope, be patient in suffering, um, discerning what is the will of God, that all of that is part of a life of love. And so to remember that, you know, this letter would have been read out loud, and Paul is still talking about how to relate to the government, um, that this is still part of that section. And so Paul is now saying that ultimately, what you owe the authorities is what you owe each other, it's what you owe the world, it's what you owe God, it's what you owe yourself. And ultimately, that is love, that love, not sentimental hallmark love, not love is a feeling that's fleeting, but the cruciform love that we see uh, in the Lord who laid down his life, who went to the cross to be a uh, propitiation for our sins, right? Paul has already written about that, that this is what love looks like. And it is ultimately to inform how you live your life now. And essentially what Paul does is say that to live this life is to wake up, 
right? It's time for you to wake from sleep. He offers this great metaphor of sleepwalking through life, which I think is a very appropriate metaphor for many in our world, right? If all you do is kind of um, go through life wondering how to be popular, how to be rich, how to be powerful, how to be admired, um, if you spend 18 hours a day on social media or just kind of mindlessly watching sports or working and, and never actually question what is this all about, you know, Paul would say that you're asleep. You're dreaming your way through life, you know, wake up. And in fact, um, this section of Romans 13 is an Advent text. Uh, it, it doesn't um, come up this year, but at least I don't think it does. But this is an Advent text because Paul talks about how salvation is nearer to us now than when we became believers. The night is far gone. The day is near. And so this imagery, right, of the night being almost over and the day being near, right? That the darkness is still kind of present, but the sun, it's on its way to cast out that darkness. This is a metaphor or a symbol where the night equals the old creation, where the governing authorities still operate, to which we must be subject, right? That nighttime, it's on its way out. And the day, the new creation is almost fully here. It's like we live right before dawn when the light is slowly dispelling the darkness. And that, of course, informs Paul's understanding of how it is we relate to the government and to each other, right? The day is almost here. It's not that we're now going to be, you know, here for the next 50 million years trying to figure out how to live in this world. For Paul, something is coming, something is near, and that's very much an Advent message. And in light of that message, we are to, as he says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, this is a baptism metaphor. It's a clothing metaphor. Um, the imagery in scripture of putting on new clothes as a symbol of our salvation, going back to the prophet Isaiah, uh, is a very prominent metaphor. In fact, the, the first book I wrote was called New Clothes, Putting on Christ and Finding Ourselves, because clothing in scripture is a metaphor for the new man um, transferring from in Adam to in Christ. And so when Paul says things like put on the Lord Jesus, he's really trying to speak to, to Philip's concern earlier, that drum he was beating about growing in Christian character and becoming a mature Christian. And so, you know, I think that as we carry this conversation forward, some questions we can ask, what is Christian love and, and how does the love Paul speaks of differ from society's understanding of love? You're about to see a lot of commercials um, on the importance of love. Um, they're going to, you know, try to sell you an engagement ring or a, a, a something as you watch these commercials, everyone's in love, but how is this love different from what Paul speaks of? And then a practical question, I think, is how is it that you and I put on the Lord Jesus? How do we clothe ourselves in Christ? Uh, what are some things that we can do in this season of Advent to take a step in that direction?